Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a standalone cyber agency for the entire federal government and finding the money for your agency's zero trust journey. It's Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Deputy Chief Technology Officer of the United States is stepping down. Dr. Lynn Parker is leaving her post as Deputy CTO and Director of the National AI Initiative Office after four years. She served two years at the National Science Foundation before that. The Energy Department has a new Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer. Brian Epley will join the department September 12th. He's leaving the Environmental Protection Agency. Epley's also served at the Department of Veterans Affairs and several companies in the private sector. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The 2022 edition of Fed Talks is coming next Wednesday. The federal CIO Claire Martorana and the DOD CIO John Sherman are just two of the high-level leaders in government, industry, and academia that you'll see there. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find the link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency should break out of the Department of Homeland Security, according to its former leader. Chris Krebs says the agency would be more effective on its own. Brigadier General Greg Tuhill, U.S. Air Force retired, director of the CERT Division at the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. He's former federal chief information security officer. Greg, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you make of the possibility, at least, of CISA standing on its own and becoming the de facto, at least civilian, authority of cyber all across the federal government. Welcome, Greg. Well, thanks very much, uh, Francis. And uh, this suggestion that Chris is uh, making isn't necessarily novel. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, back in the uh, 2014-2016 timeframe, when we were actually uh, kicking around the idea of creating the organization now known as CISA. You know, we looked at all different types of options, uh, including a independent agency, um, including one that would report to the federal chief information officer. And uh, ultimately it was decided to go under DHS for a host of reasons, uh, particularly the alignment under the authorities uh, granted to DHS under the National Infrastructure Protection Plan and um, upon the recommendations of numerous committees on the Hill. So um, while the, the suggestion of uh, effectiveness under uh, new management or a different uh, organizational alignment uh, is interesting, it isn't really novel. Uh, we've gone through this path uh, before. Uh, my colleague at uh, CyberScoop, Suzanne Smalley, writing about this at cyberscoop.com, talks to eight folks that are involved or have been involved at various levels uh, as you have been. Uh, the one that jumped out at me is Suzanne Spaulding, and I uh, look forward to inviting mm-hmm. Suzanne back on the Daily Scoop podcast to talk about this as she's been on this program before. But her take on this basically is DHS isn't the ideal location, but it beats the alternatives and it's worth putting up with the infrastructure that's required and so on. Is that what you and your colleagues were thinking about at the time that you stood the organization up? Absolutely. Absolutely. As you take a look at other uh, 
agencies within the federal government and the application of authorities, policy development, uh, et cetera. Um, launching the organization now known as CISA uh, required the, the heft of a cabinet level position to help uh, make it move forward. And uh, I, I think that um, DHS uh, was a, uh, and has been a, a, a good home for, uh, for it uh, as it starts out. Uh, if, if we wanted to go as a completely independent arm uh, and not have the ability to be part of the, um, the cabinet as well as representation in the very important President's Management Council, uh, the Council of the Deputies who serve as the Chief Operating Officer, it just increases the degree of difficulty to get uh, prioritization across government for the implementation of a lot of the policies and the best practices that CISA and the team within CISA try to promote. One of the arguments that Chris made at the Black Hat Cyber Conference in Vegas, where uh, Suzanne did this reporting, is it seems to me kind of compelling, especially given what we hear from folks at the agency level. Instead of going to five or six different agencies, make the front door clearly visible. And as I see it, that's CISA. The clearly visible part is the part, I mean, that's one of the things that the Cyberspace Solarium Commission uh, pointed out, is that there's a number of there's a bunch of boxes here already that consolidation or at least more clarity might help. It doesn't sound like though, that's the kind of clarity that you think makes the most sense moving forward. Well, I do think that there is a requirement for clarity. Um, And let's not forget, we've got not only the civilian, the federal civilian executive branch organizations that are, Uh, involved here, but you also have uh, with the development of NSA's um, cybersecurity directorate, uh, there's some play in there where if you're a critical infrastructure provider, you've got folks knocking on your doors from your sector-specific agency, from CISA, and from organizations like NSA's cybersecurity division. Um, as you take a look at uh, some overlap within uh, the government, some of the lines of authorities are, are not necessarily very clear. And then further, you add in other organizations such as NIST, NTIA, uh, Federal Communications uh, Commission, and such. If you're within the federal civilian executive branch, uh, you go to multiple different uh, consultants. Uh, for policy, assistance, and uh, best practices. But then if you are a critical infrastructure provider, you have even more touch points that you have to try to discern who's on first. Uh, So I think there's an opportunity for clarity, uh, both for federal civilian executive branch uh, folks in the cyber and digital realm, as well as for the critical infrastructure providers that are out there in the business sector as well. What provides that clarity in a way that really helps the individual agency people meet their missions of securing their organizations the best? I really think that this is where the Congress can really add some uh, some help with the authorization uh, authorizations that Congress provides, as well as the appropriations to actually execute. 
Um, so as we look at all the different congressional committees that are out there, and there are many, um, they're all in, in acting with the best of intent to better protect America. However, as we take a look at the different uh, organizations at play, we really need some clear guidance as to who's in charge and who should lead the effort of the team. You don't necessarily have to get rid of all of the different functions, the specialties that are out there, but you need somebody to count cadence and somebody who is the authoritative uh, prioritizer of government uh, support within the government, as well as to critical infrastructure. And that's one of the compelling reasons why CISA was put under DHS to begin with. And you made a point a moment ago about industry too, Greg. And to that point, Suzanne writes, uh, cybersecurity executives say there's significant confusion inside industry over which of the many agencies working on cybersecurity have jurisdiction over which problems. Is is a certain type of clarity more helpful to industry, do you think, than others? Or does it just help them to know who's got what? I think there's a little bit of both on that, uh, Francis. Uh, ultimately, you've, when you're sitting out there in business, and I, uh, over the last couple of years, I've had over 3,000 different uh, students come through my course in the CISO certification course from industry. And uh, here in the United States, they got a lot of different knocks on the doors from different sector-specific agencies, CISA uh, field rep uh, representatives. If, if you're in anything that touches the defense enterprise, the, now we've got NSA's CSD uh, doing outreach. So you've got multiple organizations. And then let's not forget the law enforcement teams uh, are introducing themselves to help with cyber uh, crime issues. So uh, CISOs are reporting to me you know, coming through my courses, confusion as to who orchestrates all of the federal uh, enterprise when it comes to providing support to industry. It really depends on where you sit and uh, who has the loudest voice for a lot of the CISOs. All right. I want to shift gears in the moment that we have left. Last time you were on the show, I uh, shouted out the general's thought of the day that I love seeing on LinkedIn. Where do you get those from? I encourage people, by the way, to follow you on LinkedIn to get those thoughts. Where do those come from? Are they just things that occur to you in the course of your work every day? Or is there some source of inspiration that you look to? Because I really enjoy them, Greg. Uh, actually, they just come from uh, my Mark One noggin. And uh, they're influenced by my experiences of the day or the day before, depending on when I post. And I did take a couple of weeks off because I, I, I actually took a vacation uh, with my wife for a while. Oh, good for you. And I'm sure that Mrs. Tuhill enjoyed that as well. And uh, I'm going to write down the term Mark One Noggin, and I'm going to use that on an ongoing basis. It's great to see you as always, my friend. Thank great you. Great to see you too. Thanks very much, Francis. You can read more about Chris Krebs's comments and the reaction in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. Voting's open now for the 2022 edition of the FedScoop 50. You can vote for your choices until September 30th. We'll announce the 2022 winners November 3rd. You can find a link to see the finalists and place your votes in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. 
a working group under the Federal Chief Information Officers Council meets about once a month to strategize how to find money for agency zero trust efforts. The senior cyber architect at CISA, Sean Connolly, says agencies are starting to see budget money for zero trust, though. Gordon Bitko is senior vice president of the Information Technology Industry Council. He's former chief information officer at the FBI. Gordon, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Uh, frustration all across government for years has been an unfunded mandate. Go figure out where to find money to do this. What's your reaction when you see these CIO council people really working together to try to help each other figure this out in lieu of actual line items for zero trust? Welcome. Francis, thanks for having me back. Great to be talking to you as always. You're right. Unfunded mandates have been a challenge, a question, a problem for for CIOs and others for years, and it's a constant internal struggle in agencies. I think the work that they're talking about at the CIO council level is is necessary. It, It doesn't go far enough, though. There's really just so many obstacles still in the way to allow agencies to make easy use of shared services and to do the other sort of good things to take advantage of of commercial best in class products that really would help them save cost. And so they just spend too much time still dealing with the compliance challenges around around any of those issues right now. What are those some of those obstacles that you see, Gordon, and how would you like to see them removed? What would agencies be able to do in this kind of vision that you have? Unfortunately, some of that, I think, goes beyond the agency level. It's one of the reasons why we've talked so much about FISMA reform in the past. A lot of it still comes down to agencies are on their own island to accept risk. And what that means, unfortunately, is is that they're going to look at every product thoroughly end to end, figure out how it fits into their own environment thoroughly end to end and make their own risk decisions. And that just means so much redundant work. Really, what I'd like to see do uh, happening is is FISMA reform moving forward, but some of the other guidance and activities from the from GSA, from the Federal CIO Council, from others to say, here are true best in class products that are out there, that are services that are out there that fit your needs. And you don't need to start from scratch to figure out how to reuse them. There is conversation about reforming FISMA. Are you encouraged by what you hear, Gordon? Uh, I think it is slowly moving in the right direction, Francis. From what I understand, there's still a few obstacles that are being worked through. And and um, from where I sit, from as I understand some of the challenges, really what's important is just to make decisions and, and to move forward rather than continuing to, to fight the same fights over and over again. Ex- uh, let's take a clean sheet to FISMA. What's the ultimate goal or what do you think the ultimate goal should be for such legislation? And then legislatively, how do you get to that in a way that makes sense for the agencies? Because it strikes me, the original point was, let's verify that agencies are taking the steps that they need to secure their systems. But maybe that's not even the right question to ask in 2022. I, I think that's a still got to be a part of it. It's still a necessary piece of, of security to, to do that compliance work, to have that check and balance there to make sure are we doing the right things? Do we have the right systems and processes in place? But really where I think we've got to get to, where there's, I think, some steps in the right direction in the legislation is really looking at outcomes and really encouraging agencies to understand risk and to prioritize risk and to look at that from an outcome perspective, to do things that let them measure the effectiveness of their security programs, to do penetration testing and to do red teams and blue teams and to see the, how, how are those things actually working. I think that that stuff would be a significant step forward from where things are today. All right. I didn't have you on the program to talk about FISMA reform. I asked you to come on and talk about this working group. So I apologize for going far afield there, Gordon. What makes a group like this 
interagency zero trust leadership steering group that my colleague Dave Nitsch appears writing about at fedscoop.com effective. I'm not that we know specifically the, uh, the dotted I's and cross T's of how this organization's doing it, but in your experience, how does an organization like this achieve success? Great question, Francis. I think the challenge continuously when you're at the agency or within level is something like this is an ad burden, right? It's a, it's a new thing that you are told you have to go participate in and where's the value in it to you. So where these organizations can be successful, where I've seen them be successful is where they actually can deliver, where it's not just a group that gets together and says, go fix these things yourself, but it actually delivers solutions. It actually is a, becomes a platform to say, here's something that worked it worked in my agency and here's how you can make it work in your agency. And people have to be able to open up and deliver those things in a real tangible way. And, and, and that's challenging. Like I said, Francis, unfortunately, this is typically, it's, it's yet another responsibility on the plate of a CIO or, or a CISO in an agency. And then they go back to their home agency and their boss tells them, what are you doing to make our mission work more effectively today? Is there a way to, to quantify that participation in a group like that to answer the question that you just posed that by going and participating in this group, I'm able to do this deliverable that contributes to the mission of the organization through information technology. I think so, Francis. One of the things that we talked about in a few places is in reforming the Fatara scorecard to give credit to people who are doing things like that. It's not just if we're gonna look at effective IT governance anymore, what are you doing within your own agency, which was a lot of the original intention of, of Fatara and for good reasons, but are you doing things to enable shared services and are those being used by other agencies and give credit to agencies to do that? No, no agency CIO wants to have a poor Fatara scorecard if they can find ways around it. It's not the most important thing, for them, but it, but it's a helpful tool. And if we can do things like that and give them credit, then I, I think that that provides some additional motivation. All right, you, you've used the term shared services several times in this conversation. Where are we lacking right now, particularly regarding the zero trust effort in the, that this interagency uh, steering group is looking at? Where are we lacking right now regarding the uh, maximum implementation of shared services, Gordon? Uh, unfortunately, Francis, I think in some cases it's still the basics. Agencies in the in the data calls that we've seen publicly reported about still don't even have a great grip on what are all their assets and how many of them are actually using shared identity management, for example. And and so we've got to get those foundational things in place so that people can take advantage of the shared services. Some of that does go back to individual agencies, but then the the challenge perpetually is when the agencies individually look at these shared services. Are they actually delivering in ways that that those individual agencies can make use of them? And so there's got to be a meeting of the minds and, and on both sides there. Agencies have to deliver the basics and step up to the plate, but the service providers have to understand the agency needs better than they do today as well. What fixes that? Is that the agencies being more transparent or is that just the, the service providers being more diligent, working harder? I, I think it is both of those things. And on top of that, it's agencies maybe breaking out of their traditional mindset of this is always the way we've done it. Therefore, it's the way we're going to keep doing it and, and saying, well, maybe that's uh, that meets our need, but we can we can change something and we can use this shared service and working with the service providers to say, if you can do this for us, we can change this on our side and we can meet together. And, and today, the, the typical response is from each individual agency. This is our mission. We're going to keep doing our mission. 
When I first came into this space a long, long time ago, an industry veteran at that time told me, you always follow the money. Doesn't matter what people say. It's where the money comes from and where the money goes. Yep. Where the money comes from for Zero Trust, as we learn about the, I mean, the whole point of this working group is to go find some because it's not being written as a budget line. It, when you're sitting in that CIO chair, where do you start looking to try to find that dough? There, I, I wish there was an easy button answer for that. There's, there, unfortunately, is I knew not. there isn't. That's why I asked. But, but, but I, I think ho my hope, Francis, is that agencies are slowly coming around to the understanding that effective cybersecurity is an essential part of the mission, and they can, and, and cybersecurity and, and technology leaders can work with mission partners to say to do this effectively, we need to invest in cybersecurity as we deliver this mission technology capability for you. We can't anymore divorce those things and think about it as a separate add-on after the fact. We've got to do it from day one and work with mission partners to build those costs in. I, I think that you, you have to do that. It's a bit of a long game, unfortunately, to what, do that. And that's where I wanted to go next because it strikes me, given what you and others have educated me about the budgeting process, this is not something, we're almost at the end of fiscal 22. The fiscal 23 uh, budgets are nowhere near completion. So leaders in the executive branch don't have any idea what they're going to get for zero trust efforts in particular and for cyber in general for 2023 and won't for the foreseeable future. And we're just now starting to see agencies get guidance about what they're supposed to do for 24. So this is going to be a ways off. And yet there are still the deadlines that the agencies have to hit according to the White House executive order and, and the other guidance uh, around zero trust. So this is a challenge that it sounds to me is is probably not going to go away for these agency CIOs and CISOs anytime soon. I think if you look at the track record of these types of cybersecurity mandates, HSPD-12 and the use of PIV cards and how long it took to implement that compared to the original timeline, for example, uh, it's good to set ambitious timeline goals to convey the sense of urgency, but the reality is, in the, like, you, like you just said, in the absence of the money to do it, agencies are going to try to do the right thing, but they're going to be fighting that fight along with a thousand other things that they've got to do every day. All right. So to that end, I've been referring to the dates in the Zero Trust EO, the Cyber EO, as deadlines. I may want to shift that terminology to goals if I'm being entirely accurate, it sounds like. I, I, I think that it's it, uh, they will be very useful tools, but I think that's right. They are they are notional goals and it will help Chris DeRussia and, and Chris Inglis and others understand where are the gaps and what's the work that they need to do. And maybe it builds an argument for there being more of a coherent budget around the national cyber strategy going forward for what agencies need, but it's not going to be the case that agencies come the, the deadlines in the, in the EO are magically going to have zero trust in place. There's no question about that. Gordon Bitco, great conversation as always. Thanks for joining me today. You bet, Francis. Thanks to be on. You can read more about the working group in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. 
The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.